It's Tuesday, January 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me from the great white north, where he needs some audio equipment that Amazon says they're going to deliver, but it's not here yet. Jim Gillies. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be seen, Chris. <laughs> uh, we've got some restaurant news we're going to get to. We've got a preview of 2021 through, let's call it, Gillies colored glasses. But we're going to start <laughs> with a pair of secondary stock offerings. Zoom Video is looking to raise $1.5 billion through a secondary stock offering. And Lemonade announced a 3 million share secondary stock offering. And yet, shares of both companies are up. So what does that say to you? Say there's a lot of money looking for a home, but that's not a particularly unique insight to me. Um, we've been hearing that for a while. There's a lot of money sloshing around looking for home homes. People want to be part of the uh, the next big thing, the go-go growth stories. These have both been multi-bagger stories since their fairly recent IPOs. I think Lemonade was in July. Uh, Zoom was last year, I believe. Um, I think it's a tale of two, two different companies, mind you. But uh, um, I, I think, for example, I think Zoom, the one and a half billion that they're looking to raise, the headlines I'm seeing is, oh, they're, they're down 40 plus percent from their all time high. Why are you doing it now? And I'm like, well, sure. Um, my hindsight glasses work as well as yours do as well. But I'm not sure that's the correct way to look at this. Um, this is a company that's become a verb. Um, you know, I would argue it's not only crucial for communication during these pandemic days, but it's, it's wormed its way. And that's, that's, that's maybe sounds pejorative. I don't mean it pejorative. It has found its way into myriad daily uses, not only podcasts like this, Chris. I mean, what is it going to do to the long-term um, business communications and long-term business travel markets? Uh, I will argue that it is change ways in which people people interact business-wise, the way people interact with family-wise. For example, uh, my parents uh, are in their late 70s, lovely people, um, but they used to go to church every weekend, okay, every Sunday. Now, that obviously during pandemic has been closed down. That's okay. My parents go to church via Zoom now, okay? Now, flash forward to post-pandemic era, perhaps, and, you know, let's say on some Sunday morning, maybe one or both of them's feeling a little out of sorts, doesn't want to make, like, take all the preparations to go to church kind of thing. They, they'll still just be able to tune into Zoom. I can't see churches backing away from, you know, broadcasting via Zoom because it's cheap. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, myself, my kids, they'll jump on Zoom to talk to far-flung friends. My one kid is taking extra math classes via Zoom. I, I think that, you know, and, and so here comes along Zoom. that it's, it's got itself into myriad daily applications. And sure, it's down 40% from its high. Big deal. I think this is a company that can that can yes it's richly valued but i think this is one of the companies that will eventually grow its way into that valuation and yet you know it's richly valued sell some stock why not to you know further your aims and defend yourself i mean who who's the competition slack i doubt it i don't like slack video i think we've used it it's not great certainly not skype so i think zoom you know what good for you the best time to raise money is when you don't need it and they don't need it 
So one point of correction, they went public in the spring of 2019, uh, not mm. last year, although I, I know we're, we're just That's uh, true. Le- That's, less, oh, than, less oh. than two weeks into this year. So you're, you're oh, look to, you're for right. people who are still writing checks, they're probably still reflexively writing the year 2020 on the checks. Um, it's a great point in terms of, um, you know, raise money when you don't need to. Uh, certainly in terms of competition, Microsoft Teams is, you know, looms out there, but, but you know, the other thing, and I, I don't own shares of Zoom video, but, you know, one of the things that we like to see as investors, um, particularly out of leadership, is how do they handle tough times? Tough times come in different shapes and sizes. I would argue that a t- certainly a tough time for Zoom video was the security issues they faced last spring when their growth skyrocketed in terms of daily users. And I think I think Eric Yuan and his team passed that test. So I think you, you have to feel good about that if you're a Zoom video shareholder. In terms of Lemonade, it's been a public company for less time. Uh, you know, what do you think they're gonna do with the money? Because this is um, certainly in terms of track record for public companies, we don't have as much of a track record. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the world of insurance, Lemonade seems like, if not the most interesting player, they're on the short list. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how we would define interesting. Well, Um, well, let me frame it from this standpoint. Uh, You mentioned, you know, sort of the, you know, how Zoom is a verb. Historically, that tends to work out for companies that become ubiquitous and, and become a verb or a noun, uh, just ask the people at Google about that. But um, another way to look at companies is, well, how would, how would their competition feel if all of a sudden they went away? If all, you know, the, the David Gardner snap test, if all of a sudden Zoom video went away, uh, that would be tough for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, but they they wouldn't be lacking for other options. Um, I, I don't think Lemonade, from a competitive landscape standpoint, is where Zoom Video is in its industry. But Lemonade strikes me as one of those companies that traditional insurers would love if Lemonade just disappeared. Uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest you probably know the company better than I do, uh, because I do look at it as a traditional insurer. Uh, and I kind of stop there because you cannot, you cannot look at this company through a traditional insurance company lens, uh, in terms of valuation and, and assessment and analysis because it falls apart. Um, I said earlier regards to zoom, um, the best time to raise money is when you don't need it. Well, on the most recent, um, and this is only a six month old company at IPO in July of last year, um, on the last most recent balance sheet, so September, end of September, uh, there was $22 million roughly in unrestricted cash on their balance sheet. Uh, and as of that quarter, the first three quarters of the year, they burned through about 65 or $70 million. So at that burn rate, you know, I don't know what obviously what they did in Q4, no one does, but at that burn rate, things were going to get a little tight. Now they could maybe release some of the restricted cash or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, to me, that looks a little tight. To me, it looks like they need this money. Uh, and so the proposed offering 3 million shares is going to raise about half a billion, 
550 million, probably more because there is an underwriters uh, over allotment option. So they'll at the end of this, they'll probably be north of 600 million, 625 million, probably. Um, but you know, I I look at this and go like, from my understanding, which is incomplete, I fully grant. Uh, from my understanding, these guys seem to be selling a variant of um, renter's insurance, and which which you can get from any number of other companies. And uh, they have some charitable efforts, which I like. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, but I think uh, it's richly valued. They look kind of like they need the money. I, uh, and I, and the other thing is too, that I'm, I'm really not a fan of this and this might just be a burr under my saddle and I will fully admit that the insiders are selling, you know, not only is the company selling 3 million shares, insiders at the company are selling another million and a half shares. So the stocks IPO six months ago, it's roughly four bagged off its bottom, uh, low is $44 today. It's around 187 and the insiders are running off into the sunset. And again, that's not necessarily bad in and of itself. Don't really like to see it, but okay. Um, but that's not but I don't like. The, I'm, I'm sorry to it's interrupt. Not, that's not unusual. But here's, you're right. That's not unusual, but here's the unusual part. The COO was on Twitter yesterday, you know, the day they announced this after market, was on, on Twitter yesterday, you know, basically railing on short sellers. So he had knowledge of a, of a, I presume he had knowledge of the company doing an offering. He's not selling into this, I don't believe. I did check the filing briefly, but he had knowledge of a secondary and short sellers, of course, are trying to drive or not trying to drive, but think the share price will go down. And so the short sellers are diametrically opposed to the, the needs of the company, of course, once as high a price as possible as they sell their new shares into the market. Um, it's not a good look, frankly, for management to rail on short sellers. Uh, all companies have short sellers. Most companies ignore them. Uh, I would prefer management to ignore short sellers and just say, you know what? I don't need to stifle dissent. We're just going to prove you, prove you, prove to you why you're wrong and why we deserve our lofty valuation. Focus on the business. Ignore the short sellers. The CEO did retract his rant this morning, but I think that's a bad look, and I think he should. His Twitter account should probably be taken away from him. Let's move on to the restaurant industry. Shares of Shake Shack up 6% this morning. The burger chain announced preliminary sales results for the fourth quarter at a virtual conference. Shake Shack's overall revenue grew in the fourth quarter, which comes after a few quarters of falling sales. Uh, I was surprised to see that over the past year, this stock is up 60%. Which tells me that Shake Shack is, we can put them in the category of restaurant chains that have done a good job of pivoting to pickup and delivery. Um, Where do you, let me back up. What do you see when you look at Shake Shack? Do you see an opportunity? Do you see a uh, well-known brand with uh, a valuation that uh, maybe is too high? What do you see at Shake Shack? Uh, the latter, uh, well-known brand. Um, I've had, when I've been in New York, I've had their food a couple of times. Generally good, yeah, got no, no complaints about the, the quality of the product. Um, I think the valuation is a little rich, but that's, uh, that's not unique to Shake Shack nowadays. Uh, but can I say, I was really impressed by this press release, frankly. Um, and the stock, I mean, clearly I'm not unique. Uh, the stock's up about 6 7% in reaction. 
Uh, average weekly sales up, same store sales show continued recovery. Uh, sure, the full year uh, revenue is down a little bit, uh, 12, 13%, but you know, given the lockdown and anti-pandemic measures in New York, which is where most of their stores are concentrated, I think that's not unexpected. Um, their digital channel sales were almost 60, 60% of the total sales for Q4. Uh, you talk about pickup and delivery being run through digital. The company's own digital sales tripled in a year. Uh, and, and, and even more, they, they said, hey, we're going to open 35 to 40 stores this year. And we're going to open 45 to 50 stores, I think it was, next year. So this is a company that is looking past the pandemic. They're giving you really specific goals and targets on which to gauge them. And in a time, there's a lot of companies just not giving guidance at all. These guys are standing up and going, here's what we're going to do. We're taking the future by the horns. And I say, good for them. I, I really was impressed by what they communicated to, to the market this morning. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that caught my attention too, just how specific they were being with their uh, growth guidance. Uh, on the other side of the rich valuation, uh, you mentioned New York City. You look at a map, and we're talking about a burger chain that has about 160, 170 locations in the United States, another 80 internationally. In the United States, the bulk of these are located in New York City. If you want to throw in sort of the mid-Atlantic region with Philly and D.C., you can do that. But you're, you're basically looking at a big chunk in New York City and a uh, a smaller chunk, but a sizable chunk in Southern California. And you just think about what the pandemic has done to those two regions uh, over the past 10 months. That to me is the flip side of the valuation. It's like, yeah, it's kind of a rich valuation. But when you look at where they've got their locations currently and you think forward, let's call it six months, we get to summertime, maybe the fall, if things start to open back up, uh, you know, if you're a shareholder, maybe you don't want to jinx yourself by getting too excited about what the same store sales numbers could look like in the fall of 2021. I think they'll be good. Um, <laughs> as a, if I were a shareholder here, I'm not. But if I were, uh, I certainly would not be selling this one. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I called uh, Zoom a company that I think probably can grow into its, into its valuation. So, you know, yeah, you might have to hold your nose a little bit at the present valuation, but hey, it's 40% cheaper than it was a couple months ago. So um, Shake Shack's the same for me. I think this is a company that can absolutely grow into its valuation. It is still, as you say, something of a regional play. Um, I think that there is a balance to be struck by continued growth within those regions, but you don't have to go what I'll call the full coach, you know, the, the, the luxury bag maker who kind of diluted the value of their brand as they went into every discount mall you could find. Um, you know, I, I think Shake Shack, there's a reasonable, there's a reasonable middle path between, you know, growth and expanding from the regional story to maybe a more national story or just a larger regional story. Um, so I, I, uh, and, you know, and, and Lord knows we, we, we can always use more burger restaurants, frankly. That was nice of you to uh, include the word kinda with reference to cho uh, Coach uh, diluting their brand. You didn't have to do that. They 100% diluted their brand. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, I am curious, since this is the first time you and I are talking in the new year, as an investor, wh 
what are you excited about this year? Where, whether it's a company or an industry, where do you find yourself, um, for lack of a better term, rubbing your hands together with glee, but not in an evil way? Um, I'm always rubbing my hands together with glee in an evil way. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm kind of excited to see what a post-pandemic world is. I mean, I, maybe I'm a voice of one, but I'm kind of over this pandemic. I'm kind of done. I don't know. think I'm, you're not. No, you're not a voice of one. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to getting my shot in the arm if my doctor's listening. I can come in today if you want me to. Um, you know, and and I'm interested in seeing what the world looks like on the other side of the pandemic, which I think we will get to this year. Um, you know, so clearly Zoom is is prepping to be a more integral part of our world post-pandemic. Uh, Shake Shack, as I said, is giving you to judge them by. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what the world looks like for, you know, the other restaurant chains with franchisors and, um, you know, the guys who run their own bricks and mortar. The Chipotle's of the world. Chipotle's done okay. Uh, what do the airlines and the airline lessers look like? I'm even kind of curious about the cruise ships, but uh, just to see, you know, how fast people go back. Um, the idea of, you know, we've seen during the pandemic, the rush to embracing e-commerce, online, everything, um, moving increasingly, like what does, are we still going to be kind of living in a socially distanced world? Is that going to maintain itself post-pandemic? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in general seeing that. And, uh, you know, if, if the world is permanently on a higher plateau, if we pulled things forward for e-commerce, uh, and we're kind of on a permanent higher plateau, then what do, what do stocks like the Trade Desk or its smaller Canadian cousin, Acuity Ads, what do they look like, you know, in this post-pandemic world? Um, you know, I, I that's where I'm interested in seeing, okay, great, I understand why everything is pulled forward during the pandemic when we're all trapped in our houses. How much of that continues? And how much of that can we successfully predict? Like, I think... I think to throw a name out, I think Square and PayPal are going to do just fine post-pandemic. I think Amazon is going to do fine post-pandemic. Uh, so I'm just, I'm kind of, but I'm curious, like what winners that have been pulled forward are going to stay winners? I think that, that's the big question for us now. One last thing to go back to Shake Shack. In thinking about their guidance, do you think, uh, I'm not saying with the earnings season that's about to start this month, but looking ahead three months, looking ahead to April, do you think when we get into April, assuming a steady increase of vaccinations, a steady increase of uh, the world slowly opening back up again, do you think in terms of corporate guidance that w in the April quarter, we're going to start to see companies not just return to offering guidance, but essentially be punished for not offering guidance. Because you think back to last spring, every analyst in the world put up their hands and said, yes, of course, we, uh, we totally understand why you're not offering guidance. I'm wondering if that's going to reverse. That's a good question. I have no good answer. Um, we understand why no one is giving guidance right now, um, except for Shake Shack, apparently, um, which is great. Uh, I kind of wonder this, I mean, you can, get, you can get down the rabbit hole of should companies give guidance, right? You know, Warren Buffett says, yeah, just don't give guidance, you know, let, let analysts figure it out and 
you know, it'll be at least more entertaining when they, you know, whenever they, they report results and, oh, they missed expectations. Well, they didn't set expectations. Uh, I kind of hope a few companies are going to stick with the issuing guidance model. I suspect they won't because for the reasons you talk about, um, they'll be expected to do. But, uh, but I kind of hope a few say, yeah, we're good. We're just going to focus on our business and what the market does is what the market does. I know I live in a sunshine and rainbows and unicorns world, I suppose, but that's what I'm hoping for. Jim Gill, it's always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.